0: Welcome to the Marathon Medic podcast. My name's Amy, and I'm a junior doctor and running coach with an interest in sports and exercise medicine. These podcast episodes are usually pretty running focused, but in the next few episodes, we'll be chatting about some other outdoor sports instead. To start things off, I'm joined today by Dr. Sophie Rintelhoad to chat about surf medicine. Sophie is a fellow midnight runner and a urology doctor with an interest in surfing medicine and the aim of this episode is to raise some awareness of first aid, particularly when it comes to water sports. I should mention before we start that this is in no way a substitute for formal training or attending a first aid course, but I'll provide some details at the end if you do want to learn more about surf medicine. For now, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Sophie. So hi Sophie, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I think if there's any midnight runners listening, hopefully they all know you quite well, but I was just hoping you would uh, introduce yourself just to start us off.
1: Yeah, well, thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be able to talk about something that I enjoy so much. And so I'm Sophie, I'm a London-based trainee, actually in urology, um, but actually I'm currently in Melbourne doing a kind of a fellowship working abroad here for the year.
0: Great, and um, we're gonna talk today a little bit about surf medicine, just an introduction to kind of introduce a few of the medical topics related to the sport. Um, so, in terms of surfing, how did you get a little bit involved in surf medicine? And what's your personal experience of surfing as well? So especially seeing as you're in Australia, have you been surfing recently? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I have to admit, I've been a couple of times since I've been here. But um I mean, there's never enough times that you can go to Plymouth. So, I think I got introduced to surfing in about 2013. A very good friend of mine said to me, Would you like to go on a uh, camping trip in October and we'll do some surfing? And I thought to myself, you must be mad. Um, But I loved her a bit and we said, fine, let's go. I'd done maybe a few try surfing lessons around the world, you know, just when you're on holiday and just thought, this is really hard. Um, But just loved it, loved loved the weekend, loved the idea of just getting away from it all. And I think being a doctor or being in any busy profession, it's so good to be able to have that work-life balance and I think spending some time you know, outdoors by the sea was just so refreshing and so uh, recharging. That I just uh, just fell in love with it and just couldn't wait to do it as much as possible. Um, so yes, yeah, so that's back in 2013. I've been a doctor now for 10 years. I think it's always really good with medicine that you think, well, what could I do with it? You know, could I go around the world? Could I do expedition medicine, which a few friends have done? Could I work for charity? You know, medicine sans frontier you know, there's all these inspirational people that do so much with their skills you know I generally feel a bit inadequate a lot of the time and um, but this opportunity to go on a surf medicine course um, sort of came up um, and I, I sort of been thinking about it for a while and then actually just added a sort of a personal reason to to go as well as a friend tragically lost his life as a result of being in the ocean and I just really thought to myself well what would I have done if I was there would I've been able to do any better? I think being a doctor trained in a hospital, you're just probably not very well equipped to being um, outside and to be able to help people when they need it the most. And so, you know, the advert kind of came up for this for this course, surf medicine course, and I just signed up because I just thought that's what I need, and it was just such a great great experience and great course.
0: I couldn't agree more. I think we're trained um, to rely so heavily on almost all the equipment that we have in a hospital that once we're outside of a hospital, we almost feel a a bit lost. I think doing these extra courses and getting our, I guess, kind of more hands-on skills is really important, especially if you are say a surfer and and you do that in your free time you probably are at some point going to be faced with someone that is in trouble whether that's just a a minor cut or whether that's something more serious it's nice to to feel a bit more confident in the skills you have yeah um so tell me a little bit more about the the course that you went on
1: yeah, so it's a, uh, it's a dedicated, c- certificated course um, run by Surf Medicine International. Um, you can Google them and, and find them on uh, social media. I'll, I'll perhaps give their links at the end. They basically run a course for allied health professionals, um, so predominantly doctors, nurses, physiotherapists and um, paramedics as well. Um, and it's global. People come from all over the world, but it was predominantly European our, our doctors actually were in the course with me. And we went to um, Portugal, which if you've not been in surf there, is just great. It's great waves. It's great weather. It's specifically a place called uh, Panish or Balliol. And I'd really recommend that just as a holiday in general. But obviously, when you say, would you like to go surfing and learn about surf medicine and go to Portugal, then it's kind of like, yeah, why not? Why wouldn't you want to go? So, yeah, so that's my advert for them. Um, And specifically, I think their ethos is to keep uh, surfers healthy and safe. And so that's not just um, looking after other people should they get into trouble, but actually, what can you do um, as a surf to look after yourself? So from first aid um, all the way to the kind of musculoskeletal injuries as well Um, but there was obviously a predominance on what would you do in an emergency and you know how can you help people if you're in the wilderness and I think just on that point as well is that it's really common for us to go and seek adventure and seek running in a you know remote part of you know the country or go surfing or go to the beach but actually it's probably worth just before you even get there, thinking: Do I have a fully charged battery? Do I have sun cream? Do I have enough water? Do I have enough food? What would I do if there was a problem? And if I'm in another country, what number do I call in the event of emergency? Do I have the right health insurance or you know travel insurance? And all these things are not rocket science. It's not you don't need a degree. You don't need to be a doctor or an allied health professional. You just need to be a safe and sensible traveler, surfer, runner. And I think. If we can just stress that point at the moment, that's probably the first lesson that I learned from going on the course.
0: I guess we're programmed to think, you know, best case scenario, let's not worry about the bad things that can happen. Yeah. Actually, it does pay off just to, if, if you have those things in the back of your mind, hopefully you'll never need to use them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but, uh, but but being prepared uh, is, is always the best way. And also just knowing where nearest hospitals are and how you're going to get there mm. is another really important thing, because I think we take for granted how many hospitals and good transport links we have in the UK but if you're somewhere else you need to actually have that that plan because you don't want to be thinking about it when you're in that emergency situation and you've got brain fog you want to know for sure what, what the next step is.
1: Exactly um, and you know part of first aid is doing what you can at the time with the you know the resources that you have but actually the most important thing is to get more help you know you're, you're nothing without a hospital and if you're 100 miles away and you need a helicopter out, then you're going to have to make that call to get that helicopter or the Coast Guard pretty early on. And, and in the acronym, they kind of taught us one of the letters was H for hike or helicopter. And so then you're thinking, right, well, how am I going to get out of this situation? And, you know, no one wants to think about the worst case scenario, but maybe having the travel insurance that will cover you for that is a good, is a good idea. <laughs>
0: Great. And, um, obviously we can't cover kind of all aspects of surf medicine and, and how to rescue someone and keep them safe. That's well beyond the scope of a, of a short podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I guess, what, what we're encouraging people to, to do if they are health professionals and interested in this to, to go and get a, a proper course certification. Um, but I suppose the most obvious tragedy that can happen in water is is drowning so could we just start i guess by talking about some of the things to look out for in terms of recognizing a drowning patient because i think that's often one of the most important things is just knowing what to look for so that you can act quickly and in a timely manner
1: yeah so i think um you know drowning is actually quite easy to miss in the sense of the person that's splashing around and shouting actually yes they are in trouble but they have energy and they have their head above the water and they're shouting um, so actually, that person needs to be kept calm and, you know, swam in. Uh, but actually, someone that's drowning, sadly, um, can get missed. They, uh, their head becomes nearer and nearer to the surface. They tend to be looking up at the sky, um, and they tend to not be making much splashing because, sadly, they're losing their energy and they're losing their ability to keep themselves afloat. Um, and you know, if you're not afloat, then you're swallowing or inhaling water. Um, and, and you know it's an absolute tragedy um, and these are things that the lifeguards are look, uh, taught to look out for um, so you know first tip would be always swim or surf in on, a, on a lifeguarded beach um, but similarly if you if you recognize someone is drowning then you know you need to call for help because it's not just you that's going to be able to help them if you can swim out to them and do so but take a buoyancy aid uh, with you because sadly a drowning person is then going to latch onto you and you could get into trouble um, and you know a tip that they told us on the course was to tell someone if you're going to help someone so the person on the on the beach is actually specifically looking out for you not just the person in, in the water you know you're not going to help to anyone if if you're in trouble yourself and so yeah being a surfer if you've got a, a surfboard you can actually bring in the person with your surfboard um, and suddenly we were taught how to Bring someone in, both um awake, but also if they were unconscious, how to kind of flip them onto your surfboard and then and then bring them into the onto the beach. And then you know you don't want to just keep them in the kind of the shallows or where the waves are still coming in. So you want to then bring them right up the beach in a way and get them warm and 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 then do any first aid or or you know potentially CPR if needed.
0: And I think another important point is just to have an awareness of the waters you're in. So just be mindful of the fact that there's there's currents and there's possibly a reason why someone's in trouble in the water and that could then quickly become you if you kind of go gung ho straight straight in after them.
1: Yeah, no absolutely. So I think when you're looking at the ocean, there's a lot of things that you can do as to clues as to where is safe to swim, looking for currents, um, looking for lifeguarded uh, flags and swimming between the flags. And the silly things like if it's cold, if it's windy, if the waves are huge. If it looks a bit scary, it probably is a bit scary. So don't get in the water in the first place. Um, so, yeah, I certainly learned that on the course was not just about what to do if there's a problem, but how to prevent getting into trouble in the first place. And that's really important if you're involved in water sports.
0: Yeah, I, I guess we're talking about surfing, but actually it applies to anything in the water. Even if you're just kind of swimming or or going for a paddle, you just need to have some awareness of, of your environment. Um, you mentioned bringing people to land and obviously if necessary starting cpr and resuscitation um how does resuscitation following someone being pulled from the water differ to resuscitation for someone that was on the land the whole time um i know we give five rescue breaths so what are the key differences and um, why why do we have those differences
1: <laughs> yeah it's a really important point about um different uh, ways to resuscitate someone and i think people often worry about getting it wrong now the majority of people are taught by cpr for land and if you see someone unconscious on land then they're not going to have drowned so therefore it's most likely to be a heart uh, what we call cardiac problem that's caused their heart to stop and they need to help uh, they need help it being restarted so that's why we're taught 100 beats per minute uh, cardiac compressions Um, at the rate that everyone remembers of Nelly the elephant or um, Bee staying alive. Now, when somebody is found on a beach or by water, then the reason they may be unconscious is because they lack oxygen, what we call hypoxic. So actually a way to help them would be to give five rescue breaths. So that would be the start of the algorithm to do five rescue breaths And then if they don't have a pulse or they still show signs of no life, then you would start compressions. Now, please don't be worried. Oh, I don't know what to do. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to get it wrong. Because actually, just by doing something, for example, if you were to start with cardiac compressions, that would expel water from the lungs. So you would be doing something good. But I think if you're a health professional and you feel that you may come into problems by the sea, this is the sort of thing where the surf medicine course or the app, or just having a look into drown versus land based. Resuscitation could be quite useful, and um, so I think I'd also like to say about the ABC approach. That maybe you have any more questions about the land versus water?
0: No. So I think just in summary, if if someone's had a risk of drowning, so you find them on a beach or near water, and you think actually this person may have drowned, start with the five rescue breaths. If it's someone that's walked down the street and collapsed. Obviously, drowning is very, very unlikely. Um, so you go straight into the compressions and do your thirty compressions to two breaths, as, as you as most people have been taught in first aid. So that's the that's the key difference.
1: Yeah, and I think these sorts of differences, like I said, make people slightly worried about doing the wrong thing. But ultimately, being prepared and taking any form of basic life support course is only going to be a good thing for you for people around you. Um, and they can be very easily um, arranged via St. John's Ambulance and also the British Heart Foundation. Um, but specifically to water, that there is a difference about drowning versus land resuscitation.
0: Perfect. Thank you. And um, so you mentioned the ABC approach. Do you want to just explain what that is?
1: Yeah. So when we talk life support, Um, both basic and then going up to advanced uh, skills, which we learn as part of our medical training. We're taught acronyms to help us learn things. And there's a lot of acronyms, but specifically to resuscitation, it would be A, B, C, D, E. Now, before you get to A, there's also D and R. So the D is for danger. And I think if you're out and about and on expeditions, actually keeping yourself safe as you go to help others is even more paramount. And it was really interesting on on the course in in Portugal because actually we were doing these simulations and moulages on the beach. So it was very obvious if there was other people on the beach, if the waves were coming in, if the wind was up, you know, you had to create an environment that you were able to then concentrate and help the simulated patient. So, So yeah, so D is for danger, then R is for response. So if someone is responsive, if they can talk, they can tell you what's wrong, then that's not a... Uh, sort of resuscitation situation but that's a more first aid situation you can maybe get to the bottom of what's what the trouble is from intoxication to heat stroke to dehydration or you know having a health problem that needs that needs help you know diabetics go to the beach all sorts of people go to the beach and you may need to help them um, then in terms of a a is for airway if someone is unconscious they're not able to protect their airway and therefore you need to help them. And you do this with a manoeuvre by pushing the chin up, so it's like they're sniffing the morning air. Um, it's difficult in a po- podcast to describe it, but certainly if you if you Google it, you'll see a video's um, aplenty. Um, once they have their airway opened, you then look, listen, and feel for any breathing. If someone's not breathing and you suspect drowning, then that's when you do five rescue breaths. After that point, if you can't feel a pulse, and it can be difficult to feel a pulse at the best of times, but particularly if you're stressed, the patient's cold, um, you know, it's a difficult situation. Um, But you feel in the carotid, which is just in the neck area. And if you can't feel a pulse, then you do compression uh, on the chest at that rate of 100 beats per minute. And you would do 30 of those and then administer two breaths, go back to doing 30 and two. And it's really difficult to do this for a prolonged period of time and that's why it's important to have uh, people around you and to ascertain who in the crowd can do compressions because often there's somebody that might want to try um, and you can keep doing compressions until help arrives and specifically the help you need is in the form of a paramedic to take them <laughs> take them to hospital um, but also a defibrillator um, can be helpful as well. Now if you are not sure if there's a pulse and you start doing compressions and somebody punches you and tells you to stop then at least you've woken them up and and they're and they are definitely uh, got a pulse and they're awake so you can't do too much harm from from starting if if you're at all concerned it's better to be in that resuscitation frame of mind have the acronym abc yeah remember danger remember look for a response open the airway Um, give breath if you're suspicious, suspicious of drowning And then C is for cardiac compressions if they've not got a pulse.
0: And you you mentioned defibrillators. And I think just going back to what we said earlier about being prepared, it's quite useful to know where the closest defibrillator is because you want to direct people to go and get that as quickly as possible. So it's nice to have an idea of where you're directing people to go.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just if I'm allowed to give a little anecdote, um, my brother of course my brother who I loved a bit so he he became a doctor actually after me so he's older but more junior than me which I like to lord above him um but he was actually out for, he was actually out horse riding and um somebody collapsed off the horse having had a cardiac event and basically they had a defibrillator at the polo school he started cpr Within a few minutes, they gallop back with the defibrillator and he is alive and well and went to hospital. And I think it's really, it's a success of quick um, cardioversion, which is what the defibrillators do, which helps the uh, outcomes from out-of-hospital cardiac arrest. Because the st- statistics are pretty shocking, even with and without the equipment available. Um, but that's why I think you know everybody should know how to do basic life support, because that's only going to make the statistics better. Countries that have BLS, so basic life support, as part of their school curriculum have far and above better outcomes from cardiac arrest out of hospital than the countries that, that don't. And so I think that's that's a really important thing that we can all learn.
0: Absolutely. And, and the defibrillators that are in the public are designed for people that don't really know how to use them. So they, they literally do kind of tell you um, allowed how to how to apply the pads and and what to do next so I think it can sound a little bit scary and and it obviously it is even if I was in that situation mm. I'd be terrified because it's someone's life in front of in front of you but the defibrillators are designed to walk people through it step by step so that they can feel confident in knowing what they're doing
1: yeah I mean this is terrifying I mean just thinking about it Makes me feel worried, and I I just hope I never have to do any of these things. But it's good to talk about it. It's good to refresh your memory. It's good to know where things are, because if you're if you're forearmed, forewarned, then that's only going to make your your holiday be smoother as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
0: so just moving on from resuscitation, and just thinking a little bit about first aid in the water. We hope that people go into the water have a lovely surf come home, have a barbecue and it's it's all a nice day. But there's also some more minor things that can happen. So cuts, um, encounters with stingrays, jellyfish. Would you mind just talking us through a little bit about the first aid approach to some of those injuries?
1: Yeah, so um, I think with any wound, you want to control the bleeding you want to make sure the wound's clean, clean from uh, debris from the sea, clean of salt water, clean of sand. And that is a lot of irrigation. That's about a, a litre or so. It doesn't have to be saline, which is sterile, salty water that we use um, in hospitals. It just has to be clean water. And if you're in a place that doesn't have clean tap water, then you you should boil the water, let it cool, and then, and then use it. Um, you want to then... Dress the wound as, as best as possible and I think this is probably a good point to say about first aid kits if you're going somewhere that's fairly remote for any sort of holiday then you may want to think about what type of first aid kit you want to take with you um, and certainly there's advice um, on the surfing medicine website and the app as to what to take um, but similarly you could talk to other colleagues that have, got, have gone to remote areas um, with um, specific things for the sea, like jellyfish and um, stingrays and reef cuts. So reef cuts, there's a uh, myth that you should put lime on them to help them heal. And that's not the case at all. But the reef have got very tiny kind of microbacterium on them that basically gets put into the skin, almost like an injection into the skin as the skin you know, gets injured. Um, and so that's why it's really in important to wash the wound and actually even need a bit of scrubbing so if you have some local anaesthetic that's going to go down well Uh, if not maybe a bit of whiskey to the poor person that needs the help (laughs) Um, although you didn't hear that from me in terms of stingrays and jellyfish stingray uh, stinger itself should be removed um, and jellyfish um, you should remove the tentacle um, from the skin surface to stop the ongoing uh, skin sting as it were and actually jellyfish um, stings can also be washed in vinegar because um, that helps to neutralise the, the sting as it were.
0: Good. So just in summary, um, for saltwater cuts, we're controlling the bleeding, irrigating them with lots of clean water uh, and dressing them appropriately. In terms of closing the wound, I think that can be a point of confusion just because You don't want to trap germs in, but also you do want to dress it and protect it. So have you got any advice about that?
1: Good question about wounds, because that is a source of confusion. And I think ultimately it comes down to what the wound looks like, the location, the size um, and the available equipment that you have. So we were talking about first aid kits. So you have to think to yourself, do I have sterile strips, suture materials, glue? And also, do I have things like antibiotics, either tablets or um, antibiotic ointments or or lotions? And going back to cleaning wounds, do I have things like iodine or antiseptic solutions? With regards to dirty wounds, you don't want to track bacteria, as you said. And so those wounds should probably be left open. um, But that is going to be a poor cosmetic appearance. But similarly, if the wound's really large and you can see bone or tendons or it's pretty grim, then that person needs to go to hospital and then they can have that better managed in a hospital environment um otherwise dressing them closing them is is going to be better for the for the patient um but they also need to have careful look at the wound like remove the dressings have a look daily um and keep that wound clean and dry it's very tempting to get back in the water as a surfer they paid lots of money to go to bali and fly around the world and go surfing and if you've got a a wound then you're going to want to get back in but that wound is not going to be very happy if you do so you have to keep it clean and dry for the rest of the time um, but I would always get advice from you know trained professional and you know with whatsapp and pictures actually you could probably even send it back to someone in the UK and see what they think as to what to do as well
0: yeah and just when you when you say checking it regularly that's just for signs of So if it's becoming red if it's hot if you're Finding that it's it's becoming more swollen, more inflamed, discharging pus, for example, they're all signs that you know there's an infection there that that needs some closer attention to, to whatever you've done on that first day.
1: But yeah, absolutely. What you've described um, does sound like an infected and unhappy wound, and certainly that that would need more um, attention and potentially antibiotics. And I think ultimately, when we're talking about wounds and first aid you've really got to work within your competence. So if you're a doctor with limited items in your first aid kit or in the resort or in the location that you're you're in, then of course you're going to do the best that you can do in that circumstance. But ultimately your advice would be to get attention at a health facility if that's needed.
0: Great. Um, so just going back to that summary, so saltwater cuts, we're irrigating, controlling bleeding um, and the wound closure will depend basically on how how clean it looks and and the size, as you mentioned. Um, Reef cuts, these are the ones with the high infection risk. So it's really important that these are cleaned thoroughly and with scrubbing to remove any reef material, which could add to the infection risk. If you've got a wound because of a stingray, you need to remove the stingers, irrigate the wound, and you can use hot water to inactivate the venom. Um, But if these stingers are in certain areas of the body, like the chest, abdomen or neck, then they certainly need urgent medical attention. So that is a trip straight to the hospital. And then for jellyfish, removing the tentacles and using vinegar as water to inactivate it as well. Um, So that kind of covers some of the first aid aspects of surfing. I also thought it would just be helpful just to briefly touch on some of the preventative aspects of surfing. So we've mentioned kind of being prepared, knowing what resources you have available to you, taking your first aid kit, but just some of the long-term health problems that surfers may experience. So surfers' eye, surfers' ear and skin cancer, I was just hoping we could briefly discuss those things as well, because they're all things that we can try and reduce the risk
1: of. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, surfing is great for your health in general, but of course it does come with exactly the things that you've described and those are the most common um and actually musculoskeletal injuries as well um so in terms of um exposure the surf is obviously in the sun whilst you might think well in cornwall i'm not going to get sunburnt or whales actually you, you can because you're getting both the uv rays from the sun but also they're being reflected off the water a lot of easily bought sun lotions are just not waterproof enough it will say that they are, but they're just not. And so you really need to have a uh, 30 or 50 SPF um, and it, preferably a zinc lotion as well. And I think there's also an increasing of awareness that sun lotions can bleach the reefs. And so it's important as well to use an environmentally friendly sun lotion as well. And, and to be honest, if you search kind of any of the Australian or kind of barley brands, they're, they're usually pretty good. And
0: I guess similarly to skin cancer if we move on to surfers eye that's also related to exposure to to uv light or, or the sun
1: yeah so this is um more of a tropical uh, problem um i'm not aware of it being a particular problem for surfers in the in the uk for example but it's well worth knowing about so the trouble with the sun is that the uv rays can be harmful to the skin but also to the eye um, and so you can get a thickening that front part of your eye the cornea and that can obviously affect your vision and so people do say wear sun glasses as much as possible you can't obviously wear them when you are surfing so that that's why it's really important to wear them the rest of the time to protect your eye and protect your exposure
0: yeah so it's a um, benign growth on, on the white of the eye I guess is the the simplest uh, way of describing it and as you mentioned it can affect your vision so I think people typically have an itchy kind of red eye to start with but then that progresses to to blood vision that, that needs medical and sometimes surgical treatment so as always prevention is key so wearing those sunglasses
1: yeah for sure
0: and finally if we just touch on surfer's ear that's related to repeated exposure to cold water. So would you mind just explaining a little bit about what surface ear is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it can um, affect a lot of different water sports. Ultimately, it's where our body is reacting to the cold and that's both cold water, but also prevailing wind. The ear has got a very thin layer of skin before you then have the bone within your ear canal. And so your body reacts um, by growing extra bit of bone within the ear canal, and that's an extorsosis. Now, these um, can then prevent the natural release or the kind of the cl- self-cleaning of the ear canal with the, with the earwax. So you can get buildup of earwax behind uh, this bony growth, um, and ultimately that can lead to infections and it's, it can be quite uncomfortable as well. Um, so they're fairly harmless in some ways but they have a potential to cause problems. Um, and so that's why it's um, a difficult one to treat. And ultimately, you would see an ear, nose and throat specialist, and they would have to basically remove the extra bones from, from the ear. Um, so I think it's becoming increasingly popular to actually wear earplugs in the time where people are doing surfing, swimming, etc., to, to prevent that coldness getting into the ear um, and creating this, this bony outgrowth.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I think uh, for a lot of people, it is completely asymptomatic. But obviously, as as you mentioned, there is the potential for excessive bony growth in the ear canal to cause problems. So I suppose in summary, in terms of the preventative medicine that we can do, it's all about protecting your ears, your eyes and, and your skin, really. So sunscreen, earplugs, hats, sunglasses, where possible. And it's not always easy but I think in the long term especially if you are surfing for many years over your life it, it will pay off in the long term to to do these things and, and protect your body
1: yeah and that's a great summary um I think you know you want to be able to get out and enjoy your hobbies for as long as possible but sadly we're not necessarily built to be outside and be in the sea for the times that we want to be in and and um, and therefore we've got to do what we can do to be responsible and, and look after ourselves that also includes being hydrated and um, eating well Um, you know not I mean everybody likes drinking a cocktail on holiday but you know you shouldn't be drunk in the sea that's not going to be a good combination and similarly warming up warming down uh, that's why yoga is uh, so popular amongst surfers as well so I think yeah looking after yourself is only going to help you to stay in the water longer in the long term.
0: Great thank you so much that was really interesting and actually useful for me because as we mentioned at the beginning we're not really taught these things at medical school so actually learning about some different topics that hopefully we never really have to apply in terms of the resuscitation um, but having some knowledge about that is really helpful and I hope everyone listening found it helpful as well just to finish would you mind just uh, sharing the information about how people can find out more about surf medicine I know that you mentioned the app which is really useful And also, the course that you went on, if anyone wants to learn a bit more.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, it is such a wide ranging subject and it's only going to get bigger, I think, as surfing becomes more popular. Surfing's now an Olympic sport. So, you're inevitably going to have health professionals that want to look after these people. And these are athletes who are competing at really high levels and they earn good money as well. But there's also then a whole host of green routes. Um, People, people that try it, people that take it up and love it. And so, you know, surfing medicine is is something that thankfully will be around um, for a long time and, and certainly will grow. So the app is called Surf First Aid, and that's been developed by you know Surfing Medicine International, who I mentioned earlier. They can be found on Google and their course is being currently planned for 2021 in a COVID safe environment. Um, I spoke to the organisers the other day, they didn't have the um, information as of yet. Obviously, it's such a changing state of affairs in the world at the moment, but they're certainly looking to get going with the courses as soon as they're able to. In terms of social media, they have a Facebook uh, page called Surfing Medicine International and they have two Instagram accounts. One is called Surf Life Support and the other one is Surfing Med. And they also have uh, research and and a conference as well. So, they're kind of the main point of contact.
0: Perfect. Thank you so much. And enjoy the rest of your time in Australia. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me and um, enjoy surfing. <laughs> I hope that was helpful. And thanks to Sophie for taking the time out to talk with me. If that sparked your interest in learning more about surf medicine, then as Sophie mentioned, you can find out more about SMI or Surfing Medicine International by searching for Surfing Med on Instagram and checking out their website and app. If running content is more your thing, then be sure to head to marathonmedic.com and I'll be back chatting about running again soon. Thanks for listening.